Welcome back to another episode of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jimmy. It's me, Len Testa. We continue our march towards Labor Day and also the upcoming solar eclipse. Jim, are you going to be on that Royal Caribbean cruise with a Bonnie Tyler singing Total Eclipse of the Heart? Oh, is that a thing? Royal Caribbean a year ago when they, I guess we're getting serious about planning for the eclipse, mm-hmm. dedicated a cruise to it. So they'll actually be out in the 100% coverage mm-hmm. uh, area in the Atlantic, but they recruited Bonnie to sing a new arrangement of the song so that it would begin and end entirely during the two minutes and some seconds. How bizarre. This past Saturday, Nancy, Alice, and I were driving back up to New Hampshire. We'd actually, later that night, were pushing through Tennessee. We passed through the area where the eclipse is supposed to be at its strongest. Along the highway, there were already signs that basically said, do not stop here during the eclipse. I guess that part of the country is is really kind of terrified about what they perceive as this wall of tourists that will come pouring in just to be there to see the eclipse. I know a couple of people are actually making special trips, like taking vacations to drive down and do it. So, and this is this is not unheard of. You know, and, and up here in New Hampshire, we're supposed to get just a 70% version of it. I think it's 80% uh, here in New York. So uh, I might go outside uh, screaming, running into the streets. But I think in New York, that, that actually wouldn't raise even a single eyebrow. So, all right. So, uh, so Jim, before we get started, I have a quick listener question I'd like to, uh, like to get. It comes from Jimmy Hunt. doesn't say where he's from, mm-hmm. but... Jimmy asks uh, these questions, and it's about uh, Stacy. You remember the uh, What's New in Walt Disney World? Mm-hmm. Or Things to Do in Walt Disney World thing with Stacy? So Jimmy asks these questions. One, are they doing away with the concept of Stacy doing the updates? Well, for starters, they're not doing it with Stacy. She's still out there. In fact, I'm looking at her Twitter feed right now. and Yeah, she's still active, yeah. Yeah. If you're as old as I am, you remember they've cycled through a bunch of these sorts of ideas. Do you remember when... If you sat down in the hotel and watched the video, there was mm-hmm. that guy dressed as a giant park car. Ticket. Yes. <laughs> I still have the audio from that. Yes. Yeah. Stacy kind of came on the heels of that. Well, actually, there was a, wasn't Krista the interim? Oh, God, Stacey you're right. Stacey you're came. right. Yeah. It was Krista, and it was like Johnny Carson replacing Jack Parr that, mm-hmm. you know, that you had definitely had the pro-Krista faction there for a long time. I think Matt Hotchberg was one of the pro-Krista mm-hmm. camp. But yeah, but I think everyone now associates Stacy with the uh, top seven things to do in uh, Walt Disney World videos. I have heard that uh, there is talk with the opening of Galaxy's Edge and sort of in that same window where the resort is getting ready for its 50th anniversary that Disney is talking about doing another series of these films with the thinking that you're going to have a lot of people who haven't necessarily been to a Walt Disney World resort coming to either do Galaxy's Edge or for the 50th anniversary. And so the question then is, what's the face? What's the voice? This is actually Jimmy's next question. Are they starting over? After all, Stacey will have aged 20 years from scene to scene if they should add new footage of her. Actually, uh, Jimmy, I don't know if you've seen Stacey lately, she, she looks exactly the same as she did 20 years ago. I'm assuming she's she's bathing in the blood of virgins, but uh, whatever works for her. I mean, it's Hollywood. That's that's not entirely unknown. But seriously, she looks she looks exactly. No, she looks great. As she did 20 years ago. I would love to see her continue, but I also know how Hollywood works, and it's like, oh my God, this is a woman who might possibly be over 30. We have to take her out back and shoot her. Yeah, I know, right? But the thing that I, the thing that's going to be hard to replace with mm-hmm. Stacey is what I perceive as her genuine enthusiasm mm-hmm. 
for actually doing those crazy things that they make her do in the video. Like when they, they send her down the water slides, it looks like she's genuinely in, enjoying mm-hmm. the experience of falling 120 feet at 60 miles an hour in a bathing suit that's being filmed for everyone in the world to see. It could be that she's an incredible actress and doesn't actually enjoy it, but I get, I get the sense she does kind of like No, no, it's, I know people who know people and she loves this gig. As Disney finishes up the Disney Springs project, then once the West Side completes its reinvention with the new Le Cirque show, and that's supposedly the window. Starting in 2019 with Galaxy's Edge coming online and the new Toy Story stuff, and the belief is we should start walking out the new campaign then. And But now it's just kind of figuring out how do you describe the modern-day Walt Disney World Resort. The funny thing is, is you know, if you, you remember the top seven videos, imagine having to coordinate every part of Walt Disney World Parks and Resorts with all the changes that they're doing and having to get all of those competing factions to agree on what the seven most important things are. I mean, it's either one of those things where you're going to be killed in your sleep if you make the wrong decision, or you will enrich yourself through bribery <laughs> in ways that you had not possibly thought of when you took the job. It's one of those two things, right? You'll end up mm-hmm. either end up dead or rich. Just thinking about how... The identities of these parks have changed. I mean, just think about how you'd have to talk about Animal Kingdom now, between Rivers of Light, Nine Times Safari, right. yeah. Avatar. What stuff would have to fall off the table? The animals. <laughs> the, the actual yeah, animals. Animal think, yeah, 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 we get animals too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's the other hard reality of these things. Typically, they would do that half-hour recap of the entire resort. You break into each individual park down to, what, a three- or four-minute-long segment? And just today, if you, oh, yeah. you were doing the kingdom, it's like, well, Wait. you know, we have Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. We have New new Fantasyland. Plus, you, gotta, I mean, you have to talk about Fast Pass Plus. You've got to talk about yeah, the transportation stuff. Yeah, it's crazy. Remember the uh, the opening credit of the Brady Bunch scene, the opening show? I imagine having nine Stacys all talking at once. <laughs> be sure to stop by Starbucks and get a double cappuccino because you'll need it to comprehend this much information. I think they could actually have two Stacys talking at the same time, wow. and people would understand both. Oh. So, Stacy, if your uh, if your people are listening, try try the concept out. Throw it up on YouTube. We're solidly in your corner, or in this case, corners. Yeah, exactly. We are pro Stacy, so we should probably start the letter writing campaign now to get Disney uh, to give her mm-hmm. a contract. So, two other quick questions from Jimmy. One, have I out nerded myself, Jimmy? Yes. Two. Do you have any clue what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, of course, we uh, we doing that. Jimmy, thanks very much for the letters. Everyone else, uh, keep them coming. We'll try and get more of them read on future shows. All right, Jim. Today, we're going to finish up the history of Fantasmic. This is mm-hmm. Fantasmic Part mm-hmm. 3. When we left it off, you had teased us, James, with the story of how non-dairy coffee creamer could explode. I have to tell you this, Len, I actually got contacted (laughs) by a pyrotechnician at Disneyland on the heels of this show. He reached out, and this is the email from Len. It's like, I'm a retired Disneyland pyrotechnician who worked on Phantasmic and the Aerial Fireworks show. You are correct with using Cremora for the original Dragon Fire. (laughs) <laughs> An effects canister filled with a half a bottle of Cremora and two pyrotechnic devices. When the dragon was positioned, the pyro devices would be ignited. Compressed air was blown into the canister, igniting the Cremora for the flame effect. Pretty good, huh? And he ended this with Let's Talk, and I literally wrote back to him. And it's like, anytime you get to talk with the Disneyland pyro people, you just get great stories. Thank you, Walter. Thank you for confirming this and cannot wait to talk with you some more about, you know, the pyro side of the parks. 
So I actually had to go out to YouTube and I, I posted this video on our Twitter feed, but Mythbusters actually did a story about whether Cremora or non-dairy creamer could be used as an explosion. We posted the video on Twitter. Suffice to say, it is a large explosion mm-hmm. when you combine Cremora and compressed air. A massive, massive flame that uh, billows out hundreds of feet up. Very, very impressive. Have you ever actually met anyone from Disney Pyrotechnics? Yes, yes, I have. Did you ever see them like live doing doing work? So I'll tell you my story. Okay, we were at a media event upstairs at Columbia Harbor mm-hmm. House, and Disney decided it would be a good idea for a few of us national press to meet some of the pyrotechnics guys. And I don't know if you know pyrotechnics people, but they tend to be a, sort of a, a breed apart. Oh God, yes. The media relations people for Disney are sort of fairly straight laced. You know, you've got a schedule, you've got a program. All the questions will be answered according to the company line, right? Things like that. So very structured sort of interview. The pyrotechnics guys come up to Columbia Harbor and they're carrying with them shells, actual loaded pyrotechnic shells, to give us an example of what, this was when Wishes was actually getting ready to start, what Wishes was going to be like and what kind of shells they use. The eyes and the mouth of the Disney media rep when she realized the pyrotechnicians had brought fireworks inside of Columbia Harbor House, <laughs> was just we we all gathered around. We we got closer because, of course, we're you know we're media people. Let's go look at the fireworks up close, right? And meanwhile, she was looking at this, saying, "Not only will I not live through this explosion, but my name will go down." Is it would be like the tungsten mm-hmm. event where it's it's known by the uh, the name of the person. There you go. But the, yeah, they were like you know, hey, passing the fireworks around, and they didn't have fuses in them. So they considered them safe. Part of me was like, this is the coolest thing ever. These guys are really nice to, to show us that. But there's part of me like was thinking, yeah, nobody here smokes, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like the round actual charge, right? Oh, yeah. No, it was, it yeah. was the size of a soccer ball. Yeah. Encased in like a brown paper, mm-hmm. like a craft paper. The funniest thing is when when the wind goes the wrong way in a fireworks show, my friend Zane Yench talks about being at Islands of Adventure and being brained by one of those paper shells hurtling down out of the sky and hits him in the head and has to walk over to guest relations and is like, you should maybe think a little differently about, you know, your launch site because <laughs> coming down in the park on people. Yeah. I've had pieces like that, tiny pieces fall down, especially you get a couple of days per year where illuminations goes off, even though the wind is exactly the wrong way mm-hmm. for it. And that's uh, that's when you tend to see it. Or if the wind isn't moving at all. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing. Anyway, on to, uh, on to Fantasmic, James. I guess we should talk about what happened the night that Fantasmic was originally supposed to debut, which was April 29th, 1992. Dizzy setting up a media event and everyone's been invited and you're supposed to show up at the park at 6 to be in position to see this amazing show. Uh, however, at 3.15 p.m. that day, the verdict came down for the Rodney King trial. Oh. This is before the days of body cam. This was a 12-minute long video of four white police officers beating a black man 56 times with their batons. And then they wind up being acquitted. Yeah. And... When this verdict comes down in the middle of the afternoon, Los Angeles explodes. And over the next two days, 63 people are killed, 2,383 are injured. And between the fire and the rioting, within the city limits, a billion dollars worth of property damage is done. Wow. A billion dollars in 1993 money. 30 miles away from Los Angeles, you have 
Disneyland in Anaheim. And all up and down the five, there are these billboards promoting Fantasmic, which featured the catchphrase, be there when the night ignites. I think the, the alternate phrase was, uh, be there when Watts burns down. But I think that one didn't go. Yeah, all right. That year, in advertising circles, this campaign was cited as the most poorly phrased, poorly timed. Ca- I mean, again, it wasn't their fault. Yeah. Anyway, so Disneyland rather wisely just shuts down the event, pushes it off for two weeks. When the smoke clears... Uh. Well, no, I mean, seriously, the folks who worked at the Disney Studios in Burbank talked about that you'd go into work and you could still smell the city burning. And it was just sort of like, it was a very, very unnerving time. Back to May 13th, the show finally debuts. Huge, huge success. Fantasmic had been designed to accommodate... 6,000 people standing around the rivers of America. 6,500 if if they bent the rules. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this is a quote from John McClintock, a longtime Disney PR guy, just retired this past summer. And uh, after looking back on Fantasmic's first official year of operations, John told a reporter for the Orlando Sentinel that that first summer we never had fewer than 8,000 people performance. 6,500, 6,000, 8,000. He said they would just crowd in shoulder to shoulder. And Now, mind you, not everybody loved Fantasmic. People who lived in the residential areas that are abut the park were yeah, really, right behind it, yeah. You were really put off by noise levels. And, and you have to understand that about the same time, here's Disneyland trying to get its expansion going they're having meetings with the locals about the three billion dollar westcott project and when people are like i can't sleep at night because you're running shows till 11 30 midnight and so at this point they have a a meeting where 300 locals turn up it's like we're going to spend the money we're going to reconfigure the sound system We'll address this issue. But that wasn't the only money they were spending on the show. Because of this design for 6,500 people and with 8,000 people crowding in, Disney knew they had to do something. So as soon as they finished that first summer performances, they come in with bulldozers, Mm -hmm. they come in with earth movers, and tear out uh, the entire waterfront area along New Orleans Square and take it from the single-level broad street and turn it into this three-tiered walkway here's disney's like okay now we can finally accommodate the eight thousand people who show up so what ends up happening is now eleven thousand people crowd in each night to see this show is that how the three-tiered layering of the walkways that came about that was it Rather than having people standing in the flat, which meant that you had a lot of people hoisting kids up on their shoulders, which meant the people behind the right. see. So let me ask you this question. When they're doing Fantasmic, there are residential areas that are literally less than half a mile yep. from Tom Sawyer Island. I mean, in some cases, maybe a quarter mm-hmm. of a mile yep. away. How did Disney get the residential communities, if not on board, how did they get them placated? In some cases, these same people, in addition to the noise complaints, would go out and it's like, why is the paint on the hood of my car bubbling? And it's like, well, because (laughs) of the chemicals that have been raining down during the the fireworks show. And in fact, Disney sought out different pyro for not only for Fantasmic, but also for Fantasy in the Sky. That's one of the reasons they introduced their air-launched system, because it turns out back in the day when they used to do the two-stage fireworks, where you, you had the unit that powered it up into the sky, and then you had the actual firework, it was the accelerant for the first stage that was actually causing all of the problems with the paint bubbling or, or that sort of thing. Oh, really? 
in 2009, they actually switched to a lower smoke version of, of their pyro from 10 to like midnight every night. You have all these people who are trying to either drive back to where they were or trying to get back to their hotels. And Disney has to continue to work hard to be a good neighbor. In fact, I just heard the most bizarre story in regard to trying to placate the folks down toward the convention center. Evidently, there have actually been complaints about the fact that Cars Land facing out toward the convention center, it looks like what it is. It looks like the backside of an unfinished attraction. And supposedly Disney, in an effort to placate these folks and reading between the lines here, they'll only be doing this while they're building the Marvel Land expansion at DCA, but they're going to finish the mountain. As it faces out onto the street, it looks like a a complete structure. It's pleasing to look at rather than, wow, that really looks like some good chicken wire you got there. It's true. So if if you've ever walked Mm -hmm. down West Catella between the Anaheim Convention Center and Cars Land, the back of Cars Land did look like the exposed mm-hmm. part of an industrial warehouse. Yeah. You saw steel beams and steel plates and, and you mm-hmm. saw essentially the back part of the all the infrastructure. It reminded me a lot of, remember when you would, uh, would go through the studios uh, through Catastrophe Canyon and then you'd circle back around and see all of the infrastructure and the physical plant that made that effect possible? That's basically what the back side of Cars Land looks like. So now they're looking to address that, which I just, who is complaining about the view on Catella. I mean, it's again, it's it's the people who are going to the convention center. I don't get that. I, I really don't get that. Well, you kind of get it because it, it, the main entrance to the convention I center guess. is literally across the street from the backside of Cars Land. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a lot of money that Disney that Disney spends for to make their neighbors happy. So maybe that is part of their good neighbor thing. All right, so we postponed the debut of Fantasmic, but it eventually goes off without a hitch. Then they decide to increase the size of the area around the Rivers of America to hold, what do you say, 8,000 people? 8,000, and Disney being Disney, then uses that to cram 11,000 people in per performance. And, of course, given you've got this hit show in mm-hmm. California, and this being the Walt Disney Company, immediately Walt Disney World is like, hey, we want one of those ourselves. First, you think, all right, let's look if we can put this into the kingdom. And then almost right from the get-go, they realize this is a non-starter. The combination of because of the low Florida water table, yep. Frontierland is right at the edge of the Rivers of America, the main drag there. If you go to your right, starting with Haunted Mansion and the old Mike Fink keelboat dock and the Liberty Bell, the dock today, you're hemmed in at that end. You don't really have great sight lines for this sort of show. And then you slide to the left and you've got Big Thunder, you've got Splash, Tom Sawyer rafts sort of pinching you in. So you have this really tiny viewing area, coupled with the fact that the main drag here is right on the parade route. Just sort of like, this isn't going to work. And as much as they wanted to make use of the Mark Twain riverboat and pre-existing infrastructure, it's like, this isn't going to work. So you start to make your way through the inventory and it's like, well... This isn't going to work for Epcot because, you know, well, hell, Illuminations has been up and running at that park since January of, of 88 and is hugely successful. But it's also 
it's just not built for this sort of character-driven show, that giant right. World Showcase Lagoon. So you kind of almost by default pivot to Disney MGM. In summer of 1985, I ended up in the conference room where the plans for the original version of uh, Disney MGM's version of Fantasmic were up on the wall. And I have to tell you that that was a very different show. The Imagineers, because this was going into the movie park, wanted more cinematic stuff. They wanted to pay tribute to classic Disney films like the big action sequence in this thing. At one point, you're going to have a full-size Nautilus float into the lagoon, and from the other side, a mechanical squid. Wow. We've talked about how Fantasmic opened in Anaheim in, in May of 1992, but you got to remember, you had Disneyland Paris opening. Oh, and right. And that right, right. really begins to impact a lot of the decisions the company's making because of the financial problems they have. Given that it costs less to make a canoe than it does a full-size version of the Nautilus, that's why the 20,000 Leagues number got pitched out of the Disney MGM version of Fantasmic and got replaced by Pocahontas. I mean, that makes sense. It does. But going into this understanding the capacity issues that they had in California... That's why when they were designing this outdoor arena, they started, I mean, their base point was seats for 6,900 people and an additional standing room for another 3,000. And if they'd gone forward with construction of David Copperfield's Underground, which was supposed to sort of overlook the arena during shows, there would have been space for Mm -hmm. viewing for an additional 300 folks. So every show would have been 10,000 people right off the bat. So they build this 15-acre complex. They've got their 60-foot-tall mountain in the middle of it. Opens in October of 1998 after 15 months of construction. And Disney World, right off the bat, is boasting that our show is 50% different than the California version. And here's the thing. As cool as it is to have Mickey at the end of the show piloting the Steamboat Willie Steamboat, the budget cuts really did hurt this show. I think part of the problem is the Pocahontas number in the middle of this thing is kind of a snooze. <laughs> it's exactly what I think. Yeah. I don't know why it's still there. In fact, it's kind of interesting with the recent update of Fantasmic. One of the things that's supposedly under consideration for the studios for 2021 for the 50th anniversary is making changes and updating the studio's version of Fantasmic. I'm kind of surprised it hasn't happened. I mean, I know it's probably more complicated than updating Illuminations or, you know, Happily Ever After slash Wishes, but still, it's been, what, 20, 20 years? Part of the problem, Len, is this is an expensive show to stage. I mean, in California, oh, yeah. uh, there were 40 onstage performers, including five professional stent performers per show. They're all equity, right? Yeah, I mean, all- and, and if you factor yeah, okay. in the pyro... It supposedly cost the park $75,000 each night that Fantasmic is presented. And when it's multiple times, that number does, in fact, creep up. Which is why, when you look back over the history of the show, there are things that, that were taken off the table. First year, you may recall that there used to be a 20-foot-tall Ursula float that would come out. That one was expensive to maintain and difficult to operate, so that eventually got cut. And as you look over the course of the history of the show, you do see Disney, when they would make updates, it was always with an eye toward, okay, long-term, this is cost-effective. 2007, they introduced new barges, but these feature LED lighting. 
2008, we get the low smoke fireworks I was talking about earlier. So, you know, again, you're placating yep. the neighbors. Not to mention replacing the 70 millimeter projectors that actually used real film at this point with digital projectors. Well, those are also quality improvements, too. I mean, all those things are, are quality improvements as well. Speaking of quality, though, in 2009, they introduced these 20-foot-long versions of Flotsam and Jetsam, Ursula's evil right. eel companions. And these were basically character costumes that were skinned over a jet ski's lens. Two problems, though. First of all, even with them skinned, even with Disney getting deliberately lower noise jet skis, they were still loud. Like a chainsaw on a water effect? There you go. And then the other thing is the poor drivers, they are inside of a character costume in, in the, dark. the dark, looking out through the eyes of these things, trying to drive around. And they kept driving into things. When you have flame jets on the water technology, it was like, all right, after a summer, these disappeared. Uh, to be honest, nobody noticed them disappearing because of the big thing that happened that year. And that was supposed to be bringing in a brand new fully sculpted version of the Maleficent Dragon. Anybody who'd seen the show during its first 20 mm -hmm. plus years had seen the dragon in the show is basically the head of the dragon on a stick. There were sort of streamers that would hang down off of this thing to sort of hide the body shape and yeah. there were some wings that were puppeteered from the side, literally by Casimir moving a pole yeah. back and forth. But this was a head and a yeah, stick. Yeah, that was actually my impression the, the first couple of times I saw Fantasmic in both mm -hmm. places, that it was, you could tell it was Maleficent the dragon, but if you got close and looked at how it was actually working, which of course you and I would, would do. It, it looked like one of those things that you would put together in a high school gym for your high school musical production. It looked homemade. It did. It did. I mean, it, it worked and everything, but when you looked up, up really, really close, you were wondering how that was able to survive 20 years or whatever. So they went with a, a full model. What year is this? This was introduced in 2009, okay. though it had always supposed to be part of the show. In fact, I, I sent you a link to a video earlier today, which hopefully we can put up online. But yep. this is from an animation test that was done in September of 1991. Wow. You can see that the original plan was this full figure, that full animatronic figure that was supposed to tower over the river. And by the time Disney decided we have to get real about this, we have to replace the head and the stick. Disney isn't doing these sorts of things anymore, which is why they turned to Garner Holt, who oh. has become, over time, Disney's sort of de facto animatronic guy. What ends up happening is the dragon evidently malfunctions, and for this, this summer, where it was summer phantasmic, that was the whole promotion of the summer, that come see our new version of phantasmic with our full-size dragon, and mm -hmm. because of this malfunction, the dragon doesn't debut, and it doesn't make it into the show operationally till September, and Oof. by then, everybody who gets to see it is like, wow, that's amazing, but it's like, boy, Garner must have made a crappy project if it's this late behind schedule, and... Garner, because of non-disclosure agreements, can never actually talk about this, but I will. What happened was <laughs> All right. Disney, when they loaded the show in, there were technicians backstage that actually run the dragon through its animation cycle, yeah. and they were just testing to see how far it could go and what sort of performance out of it, and the Disney technician screwed up and pitched the dragon over too far, and it was operator error, not design, that broke the dragon. You can make the head move around and the torso yep. move around. So what, they pushed it too far past the limits? 
they did. But again, because Garner signed a non-disclosure, more to the point, Disney didn't want to talk about the fact that they weren't making their animatronic figures anymore, that they farmed it out. Right. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Right. So okay. it just became this sort of bad PR situation. Disney had to blame somebody, so they ended up blaming Garner. And Garner does such good work and is such a good guy. He really didn't deserve it. In fact, just this past month, Garner celebrated his 40th anniversary of working in themed entertainment. But no, the reason that moment today is still as impressive in the show as it is, is because Garner delivered an amazing version of a dragon that Disney itself couldn't do back in 91, but he finally got into the park in 2009. Wow, that's fantastic. And then we wind up with a third version of Phantasma, which opens at Tokyo Disney Seas in April of 2011. The version that just debuted back in July, this updated version of Fantasmic at Disneyland Park actually features some animations and some music and stuff that was taken from the Tokyo Disney Sea show. They knew they wanted to update it, so you lose the Peter Pan scene, but you get a Pirates of the Caribbean scene. Though I'm told, you know how on in Happily Ever After you have the texture mapped projected effects on mm -hmm. the castle? This time around, there was supposed to be this amazing use of technology whereby the Columbia would become the Black Pearl that were staffed with all of these undead oh. pirates because they would be texture mapped. Yeah. And I guess in the end, they had to default to doing the undead pirates as costumes rather than projections because what works well in a warehouse doesn't necessarily work yeah. well on an actual boat that's piloted on a river. Yeah, I mean, the, pro the problem is, is the boat's relative position to the cameras, even if it varies by six yeah. inches, that's way more than the limit for making sure that the images are crisp and clear, right? You're never going to tell anyone to pilot a, a riverboat to within, you know, a, a couple yeah. of inches of where it needs to be. It's just... It, Castles, on the other hand, don't move yeah, as much. You hope. <laughs> you know. Anyway, exactly. if you look at the show now, yes, they've updated the music. And, and in fact, what was so fascinating about the original version of Fantasmic is it was Disney Entertainment right up till April of, of 92. I think the most recent piece of music in the show was the love song from Beauty and the Beast. Now you look at it and there's music from Tangled, from Aladdin, from Lion King. They genuinely made an effort to make it feel that much more modern or at least more up to date. Mm. But at the same time, there's lots of fun mm. nods to the original version of the show. Mickey Mouse dressed up as Pinocchio at one point, like the Pinocchio <laughs> figures you see in the show. That's kind of great. Now the question becomes, okay, so we have the new version in Anaheim, and obviously, again, we've got the 50th anniversary coming. So so when would they update the Fantasmic there? You have to assume you don't really need it between now and 2019. You've got Toy Story Land opening next year. You've got Galaxy's Edge yep. in 2019. So I honestly think, Thank yeah, you. I think the earliest we'll see the change out of that show is for the 50th. Well, by then, though, by the, for the 50th, though, we're also supposed to get a new parade for Magic Kingdom. We're supposed to get a new update to Illuminations and then eventually a Rivers of Light update. You think they're actually going to change out all four of the shows between now and 2021? I mean, you have hundreds of millions of people now who've been to the Walt Disney World Resort and you, yep. you want to give them reasons to come back. Oh, no, I'm with you. I mean, the, the more the merrier, right, in terms of changes. But I just question whether they can get that done in four years. That's basically a, a new show a year. And, and we all know that for the things that this complex, it's a two or three year process. I think the wild card here is, of course, Rivers of Light. I think 
the folks in Walt Disney World Entertainment thought that, well, we'll get that in there and that'll be like Illuminations. We'll 10 or 15 years before we ever have to think about circling back on that. And now having that show be perceived as such a disappointment you just wonder are they going to rob peter to, to pay paul do, will we see one of these other projects fall off the table because clearly they need a better show in that park at night given that you're spending upwards of 600 million dollars on putting galaxy's edge in that's a park that's not going to need attendance drivers for four or five years and even when you consider how much the company's spending on mickey and minnie's runaway railway oh yeah maybe this one will wind up sliding past the 50th and be something that perhaps is introduced for 2022 or 2023 when they feel like they do need something new to hype for that park all right thanks very much for completing our little series about the history of Fantasmic. Folks, thanks for listening to the show. Don't forget, we are produced fabulously by Aaron Adams. Please go on to iTunes and Google Play and your local Dragon Lair and write a review of the show and tell us what you would like to hear next. Also, send in those listener questions. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show. Take care.